What is going on? It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodge. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Grantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, sort of supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Truly supported. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's true. Yeah. I feel like I haven't screwed up that read once this year and then... Second, two days left. Second to last day. You know what though? That's Tough. that's it. You're you're in second to last day of school mode, and I it's am. like not as exciting as the last day, but yeah. you still feel it winding down. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. He still has to work through the summer. Well, yeah, like but you. I got a couple days off, and I don't have to work with Cam. <laughs> Which is a vacation of its own. Yeah. So so getting the ad read. Oh, Jamie's. Anyway, this what happened on the second to last day. It's all good. It's he's fine. He's fine. I'll. I'll no. no, I'll sw- I'll s- I'll I'll carry us. It's fine. You handle it with Dom off like I always do. Anyway, while Jamie while Jamie regrets getting the Kintech ad read wrong, which is really his second to last day of school equivalent of sweating, telling that girl in his class that he likes them. Um, and while he sorts through his mic problems, I figure I'll get us started and talk about development camp scrimmage yesterday. First of all, great to see Father Bauer filled. Like, filled to the brim. Canucks fans came out to watch the development camp prospects scrimmage, which made for a pretty cool environment. You know, dev camp does really emphasize, in my view anyway, the the Canucks' desperate need, sore need, for a standalone practice facility. But that environment and that sort of old barn... Uh, it's a ton of fun, and it's it it feels special when it's filled the way it was last night. Even though it was just a scrambly, you know, uh, relatively low scoring event, pitting two prospect teams that really struggled to manufacture offense for the most part uh, against one another. Some standout sort of performances, nonetheless, were seen from. I thought Lakaramaki in particular was clearly the most skilled player, most skilled skater on the ice. I don't think he left much doubt about that over the course of the night. His ability to attack through the rush was seen throughout, and he's smart enough as an offensive creator that he was pretty much constantly in the right lanes. And when a player plays like that, Jamie, who is now back with us, it does sort of feel like, or it can feel like, the puck follows them Mm -hmm. around. And LeCaramacchi did have that quality to him, didn't you think, in the scrimmage? Uh, LeCaramacchi, as I heard you were saying, and great job ragging the puck there, Drancer, while Dom gets me sorted out with a new mic here. Yeah, there was no no question about it. I don't know if I would necess- necessarily say he was the best player in terms of like most impactful, most influential on the game. Sure. Although I think there's a case to be made, certainly that he was. He was. I, a, you know, I, I one. Would, or, I would not make that case. One of the top, maybe three or four, I think. Sure. But you know, not necessarily the clear cut. No question, he had the highest skill level and the most talent, and that makes sense as you know the only your first pick? round forward Who's who your was pick there. For very best player in the game, uh, probably uh, DPD, Elias Pettersson. I, I picked Zlodoyev. Okay, all right, but but I thought I thought Pettersson among the guys who I like think have a really good shot at potentially playing NHL games. Sure. Uh, DPD would be my pick, or EP32, as I'm, I've, I've taken to calling him <laughs> in my head anyway, and in my notes. It's easier to write EP32 than DPD. Um, the thing with LeCaramacchi... had a good game. Yeah. yeah, he had a good game. But the thing with LeCaramacchi, as I... You know what? We love our cross-sports analogies. 
He reminds me a little bit of like a really good combo guard in the NBA, but who loves <laughs> to take mid-range shots. Yeah, ball and, stopper. Know, yeah, they have like a great handle. You know what I mean? And like they're a good shooter. They're a really good shooter, but the shots they're taking are kind of inefficient and they're maybe not the best playmaker. So they're like 6'3". It's like, oh, you love them to be more of a point guard, but they just love to get up those contested mid-range Js, right? And in an open gym, it looks amazing and they sink a lot of them. In a game, it's maybe not what you want because LeCare Mackey has the skill and has the ambition, but it's a lot of like on the rush, contested shot, trying almost trying to go through a defender. And it's not, it's a shot and it, you like it, but it's not really like a high danger chance. He probably had 10 attempts. How many do you think got on net? I mean, I don't have the answer. I'm just maybe like three or four. Three or four. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's about right. And I, I'd, I'd say he had a dozen attempts, probably um, something like that. And and I think you're right. He looks like it's a it's a double edged sword because one thing I like about his game is that he's always looking to attack. Hundred percent. Right. He gets the puck and he's going north. And I will say, I think in that environment specifically, where as you said. Not a lot of offensive chemistry, right? Not a no. lot of like good cycles and then a plate of a slot. Yeah. I understand the extra ambition and and him recognizing I'm the most talented player on this ice. I'm going to try to take this defender on and make something happen with my shot. I do understand it from that perspective. It's just I and, and I think we knew this even coming out of his draft year before his struggles last season. You know, the question for him is is going to be does he create offense for others right. to a significant degree? And he did have moments of that in the game last night. It's just that's that's the next evolution I think we're all going to want to see from him. Yeah, and so the context that I'd put it in is, you know, in terms of when when we're watching LeCaramacchi next year in this environment, what are we hopeful of seeing, right? Like, I really want to keep it constructive because at the end of the day, we're going to be talking about, like, Volander, Elias Pettersson, mm -hmm. LeCaramacchi. These guys are 19, mm -hmm. right? We are not going to scrutinize their performances or critique their performances in a summer development camp the way no. we would an NHL player in a regular season game in November, right? I think it's important to keep it constructive, and, and especially because these are – you know, very young men. Mm -hmm. And for so for like Haramaki, like the thing I, I hope to see from him next year would be and, and I'd put I, I'd take your line mm -hmm. about the, uh, you know, Jamal Crawford esque yep. Lakaramaki game and sort of try to try to broaden it into a, a constructive thing where I'd say his decision making generally off the rush can be a bit sluggish. And, and it includes for me the the iffy shot selection yep right there was one play in particular where he drove the middle cro gained the blue and then quickly passed it off to josh bloom who's got some passing upside by the way uh obviously sent him the feed that mm -hmm. lakaramaki scored on and then he drove the net and that drew everyone to him and created a, a, a lane, Bloom found Max Sasson, and it was like a really high-quality scoring chance, and three passes really fast. Yep. There was another sequence where he came in and he button-hooked, and then sort of stopped the puck, looked around, scanned his options, and by the time he'd sort of done all of that, there were none. He sort of forces a pass, it gets picked off, puck goes the other way. Um, to me, it's like when he's quick in terms of use, combining his speed with quick decision-making to move the puck, on entry, like use yourself as an engine through the neutral zone mm -hmm. and then quickly dump and then use your ability to, you know, find open space and, and your shot. Which he demonstrated elsewhere too, right? Like, hey, I can get on open the to the high slots and yeah, in that on the goal as well. And and the, that goal, like that was a, a nice pass by Josh Bloom and that he found the seam. Mm -hmm. But it was also there was a lot of vertical movement mm. on that on that play. And if you watch the highlight that 
the Canucks posted, and, and credit to Albie or whomever the videographer was who captured this angle, you can actually see LeCaramacchi track it and wait till it hits close to the ice so that he can put it low on a goaltender who's moving left, right. That's an that's a wonderful bit of skill. Like there's no one else in this development camp environment that I think could pull off that goal. Yeah. Um. So I thought he had a, a good game, but I I think the decision making off the rush for me anyway is like the thing I hope to see from him. Uh, I I hope to see some um you know improvement or growth in that area when we're at Dev Camp next year. Elias Pettersson. Uh, well, do we want to do Willander first, or do we want to do Pedersen? Just because we have a ta- we have a text coming in and say, "Hey guys, how did Tom look?" And obviously, you know, no, you're, I, you're the most recent stylish. first round pick. Yes, I look <laughs> stylish at the game. Are you kidding? I'm khakis, black tee, Grizzlies cap. I look great. Yes, sure. Um, hard pants, obviously. I was wearing <laughs> in a work setting. I never, I never. Yeah. Uh, Je- Jeff Patterson, J. Pat watched the game in shorts, and at at the midway point, I called him a hero. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the subject, is there such a thing as hard shorts and soft shorts? <laughs> I no. think shorts are inherently soft. Short, shorts are so soft. Um, I did. Uh, I went out with uh, Jason Bruff and uh, Andy Cole, and Bruff pointed out to me that Faber was dressed as somebody who's about to get shot by John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> like a Russian nightclub owner who's about to have revenge taken upon him by John Wick. <laughs> that was a great line by Jason Bruff. Season's greetings, <laughs> Mr. Wick. <laughs> have you have you seen that sketch? No, I where, haven't. Where the guy's just like, I hope you enjoy your turtle food, John <laughs> D. Wick. Because like every establishment he goes to they all address him the same way yes yeah that's yeah, yeah, yeah. really good it's, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull good. it up uh, at the break it that's was really very good. good but anyways i feel like we should uh get into a lander because you know it's top attraction at an event like this is the most recent first round pick for the team and i i don't know like if if he if he hadn't been the first round pick i'm not sure he would have stood out right if you were just going in kind of blind and trying to evaluate these prospects that's not to slam him there were moments where i thought he did some good things but it wasn't as if he took over the game, really, at any point, right? Like, you saw the tools, you saw some of the things that made him a high draft pick, but you also saw lots of room for improvement. Yeah, the way I'd put it is that Volander showed us why he was the 11th overall pick on a few sequences. Um, moving left to right from behind the net, you know, there was one sequence where he ate a hit, a pretty good hit from Lucas Forcell. Mm-hmm maintained possession and managed to gain the blue like exit the zone um you know got got his team moving in the right direction despite heavy pressure and, and used his speed and skating ability to withstand a hit and and make a play um, and then there was another sequence maybe even more impressive where just the threat of his wheels allowed him to sort of keep his head up and he literally made a, a point of scanning the ice and just in doing that he froze two four checkers who kind of backed off and gave him the space to exit the zone now Neither of those plays resulted in a particularly dynamic outlet, Mm -hmm. but you could see like this is a guy who fits the mold of a contemporary defensive defenseman in hockey born to break the forecheck. Uh, The three-on-three shift then, I do think we saw it again, where he gets the puck up high and he crosses left to right. He seems to be particularly strong skating left to right, and we saw him walk the blue and there was like some absolutely pro level crossovers mm. like high level pro crossovers uh holds the puck sort of dipsies down the the right side to the right side half wall and then found josh bloom on a on a shot that bloom uh put just wide uh 
But, you know, heading back, he then high sticks a guy, goes uncalled, and creates the breakaway for Bloom that they win the game on. So you got some good and you got some bad. I, I think you saw enough to understand why the Canucks were banging the table to pick this guy at 11. And, you know, I, I also do think that in terms of what I'd say his room for growth, what I hope we see from Volander next season, uh, you know, I, I do think puck skills in particular – are going to be a growth area for him, right? Yep. I, I'd probably tactfully put it as, um, to borrow a phrase, workable, right? Like his hands are workable at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, he just didn't have enough of the puck because I don't think he could win it. Like, I, I don't think he had the control to win it and protect it and skate with it in, in the way that like an Aiden Celebrini or an uh, Elias Pettersson did. So that's going to be an area for growth for him, um, you know, at BU. 18 years old, hasn't played a lot of senior hockey over in Sweden. This was a pretty tough environment. Like, he ate a big hit from a 23-year-old player. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I mostly come away and say, I saw why the Canucks picked him 11. And I, I see some areas for growth in terms of his puck skills. Yeah, it's for me, it was, we didn't even really, you the moments where he was able to show off his skating, it's obviously very impressive. And you didn't need to see that at development camp. You could just watch the tape and the highlights of him and you see how good But you his have to skating. be careful with watching the tape, man. You do. But what I mean is that there's no doubt that he's a, a, a really exceptional skater, right? And especially for a defenseman, you love to see that. But what, what stood out to me was just he didn't get that many opportunities to use his skating. And I think for the reasons you're talking about, the difficulty getting the puck on his stick in the first place in a position where he's not under pressure and he has the room to skate it out. So that's like it's one thing to have the skating, but you got to put yourself in a position to make the most of that skill as well. For sure. So and and let's move on because I really think it's important to keep this very high level and yep. and and you know especially for a player like Valander who just didn't it wasn't his night and that's totally fine. Yeah, it's a one-off, weird environment, like choppy as anything. Yeah, you know. We're, we're, and so it's it's worth sort of moving on quickly, having noted an area for growth and and the good things we saw because you know it's. The, the, the pressure on some of these guys in Canadian markets and they're 18 and it's a dev camp. Especially in like the first, when you are the first round pick from this yeah. season, right? Like there's pressure on everyone who's there, but when you're the guy who was taken with the 11th pick and you're coming in, totally, like, people are crowding out and We're, in there to see you and they have signs and stuff and it's a lot. We are absolutely not going to stand next to the charcoal fire and like squirt additional lighter fluid <laughs> on it. You know, like this is, uh, we, we saw what we needed to see uh, mm -hmm. And it'll be fascinating to watch him develop over the next 12 months. Um, in terms of Elias Pettersson, so I thought he played well, obviously. Like, I thought I thought you could see the battle winning. I thought you could see some real, real intelligence in terms of his stick positioning. Um, I think he's faster than we realized. Like, to me, he looked a lot sharper as a skater. Than, than, uh, than people had led me to believe mm -hmm. in, in terms of the scouting reports I've heard or even the highlights that I've, that I've seen, you know, Daniel G and Chris Faber send uh, out on Twitter. Um, he, he's got real four-way mobility. Uh, he got beat once out wide on, on a rush chance, but it was following a turnover. Like, he was flat-footed before the race began. There, it was really unlikely he was going to win, and even then he angled the guy wide enough that Villander was able to recover and, and prevent a shot. Um more mobility than I thought, more skill than I thought. Uh, one sequence in particular really stood out to me. 
he called for the pass. He's always calling for the pass. Yes. Like you want a yeah. vocal player. If he thinks he's the best option, you are hearing about it. He was he was fired up all night, all night, in, 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 in a variety of ways, like banging his stick on the bench. Yep. Like he was just like he was into it. He was. If you want a competitor, a guy who's into it, that was him last night. But but I like how he reads the play for his defense partner. Right there's an authority there where he's like, mm. I'm open. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I I didn't think he called for it ever when. It wasn't in a ridiculous time. No, yeah. like he yeah. wasn't beaver tailing. He wasn't, you know, it didn't sound like Ryan Kessler forechecking. Remember how Kessler <laughs> yes. used to try and trick guys so with good. that? So good. Um, you know, he wasn't beaver tailing at, at random. He he was right anytime he called for the pass. And there's an authority to that that impressed me. Um, there's more there than I'd realized. Like, I'm not docking anybody for what we saw over the past week in terms of being like well uh you know my my sorry it's over you're or, yeah. <laughs> you're never gonna make it or no, or no. being like well you're i'm dropping you down the athletics prospect rankings yeah. now off development like no chance i'm not docking anybody off what i saw um you know if if i had a if i had a concern and it was proved out i, I you know i might wait that a bit but i'm not you i'm not taking anything to the bank off development camp week but I saw enough from Elias Pettersson that I'm like, okay, having had a chance to watch this guy play live now, even in this environment, not a game environment, um, I, I think there's more there than I'd realized, right? Like, that's a, that's a guy who I, I do think there's a – that you can at least make a positive impression. He made a really positive impression on me. Yeah. I was really impressed. I was thinking about it in terms of, as you said, not, you know, making certainly final conclusions or even, like, strong differences to how you feel about these prospects based on this environment and certainly based on the scrimmage last night. I was trying to think of it in terms of – what do we expect to see over the next year and who could we look at a lot differently? Who could improve their stock significantly over the next season? And Patterson is the guy that stands out to me, right? Who I think a lot of, you know, third round pick, not this last draft, but the, the previous one. And the early read was, okay, hey, you know, could he be a, a nice physical bottom pairing guy in the NHL? And that's still, obviously, you would be thrilled if you get a nice physical bottom, reliable bottom pairing guy out of the third round. You're really, really happy with that. But just as as you mentioned, in terms of the tools he showed and a little bit of the the extra skill and the skating, you know, if you're trying to project guys who could really improve their stock over this upcoming season, he's one that stands out to me with what he displayed. I mean, the other guy I would say too is, is Lakaramaki. If he has the type of production, we talked about this earlier in the week, right? But if he gets back onto the type of production trajectory he was on in his draft year, I think we're going to be talking about him in a completely different way, right? As, as a, a level of prospect, certainly at forward, that just this prospect cool doesn't have anywhere else, right? With, in terms of skill and offensive upside. Yeah, you uh, know? for sure. Uh, you know, one one other thing I'd note just on LeCaramacchi before we move on, uh, and you brought it up, uh, he blocked a couple shots. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he's never going to be, I don't think, a first-choice matchup wing, but he works defensively. Uh, he worked defensively in that scrimmage environment, which, you know, I, I, I again, not taking anything to the bank, but maybe – um, sending it by e-transfer anyway. <laughs> you know, I, I, I appreciate that. You're putting it in the piggy bank, maybe? Yeah, yeah something like that. Um, and then, and then you know, there's a lot of guys who are, like, older, you know, or, or sort of have less NHL upside but still stood out for whatever reason. You know, Dmitry Zlodoyev, having watched him 
win like what 80 percent of the 50 50s that he was involved in last night um I, he must have been 70 percent in the face-off circle he's he's undersized he doesn't have great feet i don't know that he's making it to the nhl uh, full-time anyway yeah. but i i can tell you having watched him play over the course of this week he's going to empty the tank to try mm-hmm. uh hakito hirose had a really funny sequence uh i, I mean hirose was just like uh, puppet master in that scrimmage right like just like completely in control and there was one sequence with an invite number 58 um on defense and his name just escapes me i think felton Fulton. yes yeah and he comes in late and gets like a perfect pass and there is no way that he doesn't think he has a step based on w- where everyone's positioned at the time he receives the puck to just like step into a super dangerous wrist shot. Mm. And Akito Hirose quickly spins off his check and is right there in front of him. Guy kind of has to stop. And then he's looking to get his shot off, and Hirose's stick was right in there. Just like there's no way to shoot around him. And it was just, he made, he he recognized the sequence, escaped his check, and got position on this guy, and then frustrated him so significantly with his stick. And it all happened in about a, a second and a half. And on his way back to the bench, the the invitee bro- like slammed his stick on the ice in absolute frustration. And I was just like, "Yeah, that's 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 cool. Like he should be able to do this at this level." That's the thing. He's like, he's twenty four. He's probably he's the NHL oldest games. guy there, and he's played in the NHL. So you're expecting that level of savvy to show out. But right? it but it was still cool. Like it was just <laughs> it was just still cool. Like yeah, you know, if you can if you can shut down um, an opportunity like a, a chance at a scoring chance before it even develops to the point where the player leaving the ice is annoyed. <laughs> that's, that's you've, you've done your thing. Um, so good stuff. Good uh, stuff from her. As we go rapid fire, there's just some of the other guys of note here at the scrimmage. And again, look, it's our second to last show of the year. All right. We know this is a prospect development scrimmage, but it was fun to get out there and watch these guys on the ice. Uh, one guy who you can't help but notice and pay attention to just because of his size, fourth round pick, Vilmer Ulrichsen, who, again, stands out, certainly stands out, scored a goal in the shootout portion. He is just, to me, watching him, it's just like, if you ever wanted to show somebody what they mean when they say a player is a project, as a prospect, like, this guy is a project. This guy is a project where there's the size, and sometimes you saw some nice, some good hands, sometimes you saw a little bit of of, of straight line speed, but all of the details and like fitting that all together is clearly going to be such a work in progress. The hip shimmy on his shootout move was like absolutely top end, like world class skill. <laughs> and yet he bobbled the puck before he launched. He was it. like fighting the puck the whole way almost. Also, <laughs> and then he it pulls was... off. I mean, yeah, unbelievable. He also had that loose puck that he took a slap shot on. That like I swear took four seconds for him to uncork the slap shot yeah. just because of the mechanics of his body well that's and i'm sure he's still growing into it that's the thing he's so tall it's just he's obviously like working out mechanically how do i play hockey you know what i mean like how am i strong on my skates how do i take a slap shot like how does it all work yeah. at my size it's like it's like chasing having a ball uh, a puppy chase a ball where when their feet are too yeah. too big for them right <laughs> yes. like yeah uh, anyway there's something there he used his size willingly i wouldn't say he used it like well, like there was one one hit that he threw on the forecheck where he completely separates the defenseman from the puck, but then also skates past the puck, right? And it's just mm. like at least he's willing to play hard in that environment, um, you know. And and if he can harness some of the skill and we and we saw it in flashes to that size, um, I mean maybe maybe look, it's an interesting lottery ticket to hold. 
Um, it's an interesting lottery ticket to hold overall. Ty Mueller. I like Ty Mueller. He was smart. Yep. He looked fast. He's 20, so you'd expect him to show pretty well in that environment. I thought Aiden Celebrini looked really good. Aiden Celebrini had some good moments. I, I thought sure. he was the best of the 2023 Canucks defenseman draft picks, right? Because there's four of them in that game. Yep. Minio and um, Bruce, Bruce Devich, Devich had some moments. Um, you know, but but in terms of his involvement in the game, like Celebrini, Celebrini's, you know, he's not big, but he's got size. He's not small. No, right? he's, he's got just size. like normal. Yeah. So he's not big, he's, but he's got size. Mm -hmm. He's not fast, but he can skate, right? He's not super skilled, but he can move the puck and control the puck with his head up. Um, some decision-making issues at the offensive blue line, but that's fine. You can sort that stuff out. That's like... That's a different thing than we need to work with him on keeping his head up or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I honestly liked his game. He he seemed really adept at reading the play, beating four checks with passing, putting pucks in areas where his teammates could skate onto it, and then also uh, showed some showed some flair for dragging the puck into the middle and mm -hmm. and getting dangerous shots off through screens and past first defenders. I for a sixth round pick, I, I thought he was a standout too. Yeah, and uh, I actually thought uh, it's it's not the same because he's an NCAA free agent signing. And he's a little older. I thought oh, Max, no, no. I thought Max Sasson had some jump. Oh, okay, as sorry. well. I thought you were going to say Christian Fitzgerald. Oh no, no, no. He was yeah. That's a different category. Yeah, he's too. awesome. He was really good. Yeah. I uh, I'm I hope that they find a way to get a deal done with him. And then Josh Bloom. Okay, Josh Bloom sets up the Lakaramaki goal, scores yep. the winner in overtime. This is a guy who's got a shot to. I mean, he's still eligible. Like, so his contract's going to stay on the books. He can't slide. Like Kirill Kudryavtsev, Kudryavtsev. I was so much more confident when I started saying it than by the end. I was like, "Oh boy, this say, didn't go as planned." Say the why. It's like Kudryavtsev, Kudryavtsev, because okay. there's an extra there's V in, in there yeah. too. Yeah. Anyway, um, he his he contract slide. is he not doesn't count to the fifty, right? Because he's going to be in the O. if he goes yeah. back to the O, yeah. which he will, and then but. Bloom Bloom can go back to the O as an overager, but he also could potentially play in Abbotsford. So the stakes for him of making a pretty good impression are, you know, meaningful, mm -hmm. right? Like the, the, he's got a real job to compete for in in the next couple of months. And you know, I, I think we saw, I think we saw enough that I'm really curious to see what it looks like at Young Stars and when training camp shows up. There's there is some skill there. I don't think it's high end. But there's some skill there, and yeah. there's some pace there, and there's some size there. Yeah. And he's intelligent. Bloom, the question for me, because I think there's the, the the pace and the size and the IQ, to me, looks promising. And it's interesting because he made a nice pass to Karamaki. You know, he scores the goal in overtime as well. He made some skill plays, but there were also a lot of moments where – I didn't think his skill was there, right? And whether it was just, like, getting the puck off the boards or handling the puck cleanly in the neutral zone, things like that. I, he also stood out in a negative sense in that way to me. But, again, the, the rest of the tools I thought were there where you can start thinking, okay, this could be a, an effective bottom six player down the road. It's just a question of if his puck skills are at that kind of baseline level. Yeah, but more than down the road, can he do it next year in Abbotsford? In Abbotsford. Can he yeah. be next season's Arshdeep Baines, right? Like, that's sort of the question that, that he'll look to answer in the fall. Uh, all right, we will wrap up there. Lots to get into throughout the course of the show. Uh, anything you want us to talk about, questions you have, hit us up, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I did want to talk about former Canucks coach Alain Vigneault, who announced his retirement recently. We can mention that a little bit. Uh, lots more to come on the other side. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. 
Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drads. Am I on the right mic? Is this working? Did, did you did you secretly fix my normal mic? I didn't secretly fix anything. You just weren't there. Okay. You're, that was the weirdest intro you've ever had on the show. Well, I just I was we were all mixed up in the first segment, and then I realized I was doing it as normal. I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Well done, Dom. Well, I was I was out of the studio. You snuck in and, and took everything. Got everything sorted out. You sounded as confused as a boomer threading last night. <laughs> a boomer threading. threading. Is that what we're calling it? We're calling it threading? I guess. You just made. You just coined that. No, no, I'm not taking any. Did you thread? Are you sure we, we're not threaded? Are you threaded That's if you're on thread? Tense. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can be shredded in the present tense. That's true. Yeah. Uh, anyways, nice we're, we're sorry, live from sorry. the Kintech studio. I, I just want to do my impression of Jamie Dodd doing a Canucks talk opener, which <laughs> goes like this. What's up? <laughs> my mic's working. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> we, we've gone from the soft mic back to the hard mic. Yes, we're back on the good mic. I've I got, control my mic again now. I'm very excited about it. Like, forget the inbox popping off. My personal text inbox is, like, filled with people mad about my inability to differentiate between hard and soft shorts (laughs) (laughs) well i guess there are like business shorts like business for some reason the word that popped to mind was business caliber shorts (laughs) but those are golf shorts you know it's like yeah well that's shorts shorts are only professional in the context of a professional setting that's not professional in terms of its attire as someone as someone who went to a private school we had hard shorts you had those gray shorts? Yeah, the uniform shorts. Schoolboy school shorts? Yeah. That was, those are hard shorts. Tough did you, luck. Did you wear them? Oh, in the summer, you had to. Where did you go to school? Uh, Holy Cross in Surrey. Is it that yeah, much so hotter like, in Surrey? <laughs> like, on like sorry, a June didn't you day? Grow up, didn't you grow up in Vancouver in like the 90s? Like, like on me? a June day during exams with no air conditioning? Yeah, it was hot in the uh, portable. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, So you went to a private school without air conditioning? Yeah. (laughs) Budget. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um. (laughs) I love how uppity you are towards. (laughs) I love that it's not even like you're, you're like looking down on public schools from a private school vantage. You're like great. You're tiering the private schools based on accessibility to air conditioning. I think the thing is all shorts are comfortable. Yes, all shorts are comfortable. I've never worn an uncomfortable pair of shorts. 100%. I guess maybe, I guess I've never worn like, because why would you, like tight jorts. Those would probably be uncomfortable. Uh, reach, re- that's Reach's file. Yeah. My, yeah. my view is, my view is, is that there is not a sufficient difference between like the shorts that you wear on a hot day at home mm-hmm. and the shorts that you can wear out on a date with your wife. Okay. There's not a significant enough difference. To qualify for the soft hard rubric, okay, so, but there is a difference. I'm talking about. I'm t- there is a difference because there's like the sweat shorts that you wouldn't wear out. You know what I mean? Like we go to like do although it it's on- although it's Vancouver, man. Like you can go anywhere no, you want. No, 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 wearing whatever you want. But we go to like um, we go to you know we were at the Canucks alumni golf uh, tournament, right? I would wear shorts nice shorts to that but i wouldn't wear like sweatpants shorts to that yeah you know what i mean i mean i wear khakis anytime i go anywhere professional i don't wear shorts in professional settings because i'm a normal person um but it's a golf course yeah but i'm not golfing (laughs) anyway the the uh sorry sorry 
I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you cannot tell me that the difference between like X Lululemon biker short shorts that That's you're wearing at home. Shirt. That's soft shorts, yeah. Okay. And the khaki shorts that you wear on a date, patio date with your wife. Is, Hard shorts. It, no. Is a similar gap to the Roots sweatpants you wear at home in the winter. Yeah. And the and fitted like khakis. Yeah. No, or like, They're yeah. the same material. What are you talking about? It's a one, one isn't even acceptable to wear out for a run to Subway. Like, you can wear athleisure out on in, in the town and no one bats an eyelash. Whereas, like, if you're wearing sweatpants after noon, you are being judged. Whether that's fair or not, you are. They're Sean John sweatpants. That's fine. But because they're Kirkland brand. Am I right or am I, I right? I will say, well, I don't know. I see lots of people wearing sweatpants. After, after noon? Yes. Yes. I wouldn't do it, but I don't think that's the standard in Vancouver. I think the standard is go nuts, wear sweatpants. I think I, I mean, but like, yeah, I guess there's really nice sweatpants. But there's a certain caliber of sweatpants that if I see it afternoon, I'm like, man, you okay? Tr and Courtney says, "I have 30 minutes for lunch. Can you please talk about sports?" <laughs> <laughs> We're killing Tr's lunch break here. Sorry, Tr. I'm sorry, Tr. Um, this question came in. Well, first of all, Tambier texted in. Can DPD be Hronik's partner as soon as next season? Come on, Tambier. Come on. Wearing jorts at work He's today, 19. by the way. Marcus, yes, and, Marcus Gibson's. and Gibson's. Me too, bud. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Big jorts day. Um, Joe and Smithers says, uh, boys, with the loss of Burroughs and Shen, who's going to fill that void? Even with them in our lineup, we still weren't tough enough. Where do we go from here with respect to toughness? That's from Joe in Smithers. I mean, Carson Susie, big boy, six foot five. Uh, you know, Ian Cole, large man as well. Not necessarily the same rep for dropping the gloves and throwing mitts as as Shen and Burroughs. I would not be surprised at all if, to the extent that they can do more things, and we all know how limited they are and how the uncertainty around Tanner Pearson limits what they can do, but I would not be surprised at all if a priority was let's try to go and add some more toughness, and especially to the bottom six of this roster if we can. Like, we we, we all know what that Tockett prioritizes that. We've heard them talk about it in addition to all the other things they've mentioned. Like, that's on their radar. I don't know if it's something they're going to be able to address in a really meaningful way, but I'm sure that they're out there looking for it. Yeah, I mean, Ian Cole is non-fighting toughness. Carson Soucy is mostly non-fighting toughness. Both guys, you know, probably mm-hmm. average a couple fights a year, a couple bouts. Uh, neither of them is Kyle Burroughs, like, drop everything and go fight a guy who's five inches taller than you and no. has 50 pounds on you the way Kyle Burroughs occasionally did with, like, Austin Watson <laughs> or bigger dudes uh, over the course of last season. Um, look, there aren't a lot of bottom-of-the-roster tough guys in the NHL these days, right? I mean, no, Ryan Reeves, Nick Delorier. No, no, like in terms of like strictly this guy is in there almost entirely to drop the oh, that, gloves. Oh, that straight That's, up just doesn't yeah, exist. But he, I mean, Ryan Reeves is almost that um, at this point. Yeah, okay, Ryan Reeves you know is I mean? almost that. But, I mean, we're, we're, we live in a world where only four players in the entire league fought ten times or more last yeah. season. Uh, so, you know – this 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 breed of player is gone for the most part. Cal Burroughs led the Canucks, by the way, with eight. Um, yeah, I mean, look, do I think it's necessary for the Canucks to bring someone in to to police a little bit? Um, I do, especially because we've seen teams target Pedersen in particular. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, adding some toughness, but but as it stands right now, 
you know what? I think you're going to be counting on what you have to do more of a, a job stepping up and doing it collectively, right? I mean, you still do have guys like Dakota Joshua, right? Guys yeah. like um, JT Miller, although you really don't want him using his hands for that. No, um, and you don't want him off the ice for five minutes at a time either no. with the center situation behind him. That's true. Um, you've got Carson Soucy, right, who can do it. So, you know, I, I think it's going to have to be a little bit more committee, and and maybe they find a guy who can who can do it a little bit, but I mean you're you're there's not a lot of options, man. Like it's not like no. there's a lot of guys. And you just as much as we might all want it, and we can Zach, recognize. Do you bring Zach McEwen? Well, back? he just signed three years in Ottawa. Oh, good for him. Yeah, three year three, one, years. three year one way deal at at the minimum, but a one way deal for oh, three years. And yeah, clo- oh, I love that. For Great him. for Zach McEwen. Yeah, yeah, very happy for Zach. Very McEwen. cool. Um, but. As much as we can all look at it and say it's great to have that guy who's totally fear- fearless about dropping the gloves, do you how how much how many of your scarce resources are you willing to expend on? Well, that, I'm willing right? to use a contract slot on it, sure. But I mean, ideally, ideally, you have like Keegan Colasar, who's also really good, right? Like that's ideally mm. uh, what you'd want. I think the key for me is more than just somebody, more than like sorting by fighting majors and seeing who's out there, right? It's can you develop the kind of overall functional team oh. toughness? Oh, can I can I mention one other guy? Sure. Sheldon Dries. In the toughness category. I am not even kidding. Can you imagine if Sheldon Dries remade his his reputation and his career? He already did. He did it last year. Go watch those bouts. That guy that guy might be one of the best fighters pound for pound and inch for inch in this league. Like, I'm not kidding. Who'd he fight again? He fought someone massive, and everyone and we were yeah, all like, he did. and he his face was all busted, and he was smiling. He scored a goal that game in the locker room afterwards. Like, he fought um, Connor Murphy. Oh yeah, Connor Murphy is a big fella. Connor, Connor Murphy's, Murphy's like big. 6'3", 220. Yeah, like, Connor Murphy is and, large, and like he did really well. That wasn't like a blowout by any means. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and from January through the end of the season, he had three fights. He fought Nathan Walker, Sean Dersey, and Connor Murphy. In fact, in fact, thirty percent of hockey fights voters awarded that bout to Sheldon Dries. Sixty-five percent of hockey fights voters called it a draw. So, hey. You know, I wouldn't be surprised even getting away from the fights and all that, but with that kind of mentality and the fact that he actually does have some offensive tools that Bluger and Oman don't, I don't think a lot of people, as you know, now that we kind of know the shape of the roster roughly, and we start to all like do the back of the napkin scribbling down our line combinations and testing things out, I don't think a lot of people are including Sheldon Dries in the first pass. But it wouldn't surprise me if we end up seeing a lot of Sheldon Dries in various roles and covering for injuries. Like, he's an easy guy to plug in and move around the lineup and brings a different element than your other two bottom-of-the-roster centers do. And then, as you said, like, hey, you're not going to rely on him to be a tough guy, but if you have that mentality, you have that willingness to step up and do it, and the guys on the team love it, like, that helps your case. That helps get you in as a shorter, offensive, kind of fringe guy. Well, and let's, let's we all think of Dries as a center, and I think that's why he gets left out on the passes, because everyone just pencils, kneels him on in, right? But if you, if you sort of think about it as Dries can play either, and might actually be better suited to being a fourth-line winger you know, if at all possible, mm-hmm. you know, you, you sort of go down the names of, of forwards you expect to be in the lineup. Right. And it's like, let's say Joshua, there's three locks on the left side in Joshua, um, Kuzmenko and Beauvillier. Right. There's three locks on the right side mm-hmm. in Besser, Garland and Mikheyev. 
right? So that's six. Yep. And then, you know, there's the probables tier that we'd call like what? Di Giuseppe, Hoaglander, Pod Colson, and Joshua. Joshua. So four. So that brings us to ten. Yeah. That's two jobs. And like what names are you now putting in with and and like some of those, like I think you'd put Hoaglander and Pod Colson in sort of a different tier too, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of that. Um, and then like who's your eleventh and twelfth wingers here, right? Like there is, I think, a route for Dries to be like the the like can Dries beat out Jack Stadnika on the right side? Like I would I, argue he abs- absolutely absolutely can. he can. Like, honestly, could he beat out Phil DiGiuseppe? I don't know based on um the way that Tockett used DiGiuseppe down the stretch, but I, I like you've got to think there's a chance given that the Canucks are gonna need someone to center PP two and they're going to need someone with that versatility. And mm-hmm. you know, um Di Giuseppe has term on his deal, so he's easier to get through waivers, right? Like there's a lot of considerations working in Dries' favor there. And then we don't really know what we're gonna see from Pod Colson and Hoaglander. Obviously we're all hopeful they take a step, yep. but um can Dries beat out one of those guys if they didn't have the best summer? For sure. Like there's absolutely this roster is not so deep and fat that Dries is no, not marooned. at the bottom end. It's no. there's a lot of names, but again, as you said, they're not all a clear cut above Sheldon Dries to the point where he doesn't have a chance to play potentially play a role uh, on the team. Lots of people pointing out that he's uh, thrown him many times in the AHL as well. And Mark's, Sorry, that that Dries has dropped him many times. Oh, in dude, the a. he fought. He yeah. fought. Jared Tenorti in the <laughs> AHL. Jared Tenorti is legitimately Jared is an enormous human being. Enormous. And, like, he lost that fight, as I recall. I remember yeah, pulling I, it I up. I bet. I remember pulling it up. But, like, Jared Tenorti is six foot six, two thirty. Yeah, that's enormous. That's massive. Dude, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Do not sleep on who replaces the Kyle Burroughs welterweight heavy yeah. role. Uh, for the Canucks, like, do not sleep on Sheldon Dries. Oh, well, Marcus and Gibson's text in, uh, Dries wants Burroughs' spot as a fan favorite. Can we just pretend that he's from the Lower Mainland, too? <laughs> he's, like, the adopted the adopted Lower Mainland guy, if he drops the gloves uh, like that enough. Uh, Alan Calgary texts in, I think the tough part of this is if we get a goon, there just aren't that many spots on the roster. If pods or hogs are taken out for a fighter, that'll be so silly, especially because pods uh, can hold his own. Yeah, I mean, Vasily Pucholson, you're not going to count on him to to drop the gloves, but just no. in terms of, again, that team toughness, that physicality, that ability to be tough and be tough to play against, that's exactly what we're all hoping to see from Pod Colson as his career advances. So if you're, like, I agree with Al, that's a tough sell to take out a player whose upside is based on his physicality, like Vasily Pod Colson. If it came to that, right, that you're taking him out because you think you need a tougher player in there, that's really tough because you're. That's what you want from Bud Colson. That's what the goal for him is. Right. As soon as next year. So I, I get what you're saying. Like, there's just not that many. There's not that many openings, especially considering they have other needs as well, right? In terms of potentially, you know, a right-handed center, depth scoring, all of those things. You really need, do want it to come. I think primarily from you know your Dakota Joshuas, your Vasily Pod Colsons, guys like that stepping up and making this a tough team. Well, and I also don't know where you're finding it. I mean... That's part of it. You know, Zach Cassian? Are you going to repatriate? Yeah. Zach Cassian? Adam Ernie? I mean, it's really tough to find 
Maxime Comtois, honestly, is sort of the guy who would stand out. He's to me the, he's the na- the obvious name. That yeah, because we've, we've heard interest. He's and... got a bit of that in his game. So I don't know. I think the oh Derek Grant would I guess be un- the only other name that sort of jumps off the page a little bit for me. Um, hasn't fought as much in recent years because he's sort of become a faceoff specialist who can also score ten goals. But <laughs> what? It's a nice club. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean he you know he fights once a season. Yeah, I, he's not really the answer either. Although he's a big bodied player. So yeah, I mean it's it's hard to see where you even get that guy um in free agency. Uh, Austin Watson, Brendan Lemieux, yeah. I mean I And that's are, and are you going to prioritize let's say you had a chance to do a bargain deal with a Pew suitor? Right or an Oscar Sundquist? Are you going to prioritize, dude, or even a Caleb Jones? Yeah, like, you know, are you like, going to prioritize one of those who's a little more functional than the pure toughness ad? Yeah, I think you probably are. You, you definitely are at this point, especially considering uh, there's <laughs> their center depth. Ken texted, "I only have thirty minutes for lunch. Can you please talk about sweatpants?" Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll do some more. I'm sure we'll do some more of that towards the end of the show. Actually, we got a good question about uh, local breweries in that I want to get to at some well, point. We, I, I don't want to. I don't want to um, upset any potential sponsors. So, I'm oh, going to okay, myself. you're going to recuse. All right, fair enough. Um, fair enough. But let me tell you this: I like a lot of them. <laughs> They're all great. Yeah, and I love to talk about which ones I like. So if you wanna, if you wanna come at us this summer, we we are open to to chatting with you. Yeah, Andrew, <laughs> yeah. you can pay to be number one on the rankings, <laughs> and it's yeah. all perfectly legal. In fact, in fact, my favorite beer is absolutely for grabs. not being given out for free. More importantly, um, sorry, we also have some McDonough questions. People asking where does McDonough fit in mm. this year, and I, I just want to say, like, hopefully he makes a really strong case at training camp, but I want to see him play at least the start of the year in the American League, even if oh, he, yeah. Even if he comes in and makes like the Adam Gaudet fall 2019 case where it's like, wow, that guy's dominant in the preseason. I still hope this organization's disciplined enough to send him down mm-hmm. and give him 22 minutes a night. Because remember, he didn't get to do that last year, right? He came in and he played NHL games and felt like he was there for a quality chance per game, which, by the way, is like pretty good if you're playing fourth line For a minutes. guy just coming in, yeah. He converted one of them, obviously. Um I want to see him be a fixture on their first unit power play. I want to see him play massive minutes uh, in the American League. And if he is absolutely crushing it, like, what's the harm in letting him do that for two months? Oh, I, I, or the whole season. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, again, this this team is very deep at the wing. As, right? opposed, le- to, as opposed to having him come up to and play, what, like, 10 minutes on yeah. PP2 and the fourth line. like nah, And get, like, you know, that. benched because you're in a tight game in January and the coach doesn't quite trust him yet, right? Like, yeah. I, if, if he's playing if he's playing top nine and he's helping you in, that's one thing. But, man, if, if, you're, if you're going to have him do that, we need a body thing, yeah. then you're just falling into the trap this organization always falls in. And, and there's really no there's, – there's no pressing Always need. has fell in. Yeah. There's no pressing need, right? It's not as if you're like... I was correcting myself there, but I felt bad about it. It's not, you know, (laughs) this is the the Niels Hoaglander breaking into the top six because they just didn't have any other options, right, in his his rookie year. Like, they have other options. They have credible NHL players down the wing. There's no reason to rush somebody like Aiden McDonough who needs that pro development. I will say, you look at the the roster, uh, the forward setup in Abbotsford going into next year, potentially, like, there's a pretty interesting group of 
relatively young still, you know, Aiden McDonough, Linus Carlson, Tristan Nielsen, Max Sasson, Atu Ratu, Baines, Klumovich, like, I, I would be perfectly content to let that cohort, right, of eight or nine names just do their thing in Abbotsford. And unless somebody really, really pops and forces their way into the conversation or you're ravaged by injuries or whatever, like, let those guys. If you're trying to build this AHL pipeline where you're you're churning out contributors year after year, let those guys have that time down there. Let them gel. Let them build that program. All of that. That's I have no problem whatsoever taking that route because I do think it's uh, – I, again, I think like if you're an Abbotsford Canucks season ticket holder, I think there's going to be some uh, lots of interesting names to watch down there. Jazzy along those lines texts in, do you think Arshdeep Baines could crack the NHL roster? Look, it all depends, as you say, like who comes in and has a really big summer, who comes in and really, really surprises at training camp. But much like the Aiden McDonough conversation, I think the best stop, spot for Arshdeep Baines is just to go down and be a really key member of hopefully a pretty good, pretty young Abbotsford Canucks team, right? And do that for at least another year and then see where things stand. If if he forces the conversation to a different way, that's fine. But see, I think there's nothing wrong with I think even if he does, the bar to make this team, if you're a guy with no AHL experience like Aiden McDonough, should be top nine and we're winning. You have you, you honestly mm. almost need to hit both um, at least at least at the outside of the season. You know, obviously things change if you're losing a bunch. Obviously things change if he's 1.2 points per game in the American League, right? I, I mean, things that you, you have to sure you have to adjust as the reality emerges. But if he's one of the nine best forwards at training camp, and you're confident that he's going to play 12 to 15 minutes a night and get meaningful opportunities, th- then okay. But if you're not, if if it's but not that's an a immediate huge bar to clear when you think huge of huge bar when you think of the established NHL talent on the roster. Otherwise, go play 18 and yeah. go light up the American League. Like if you're that good, go light up the American League. Uh, I think that especially for a guy like McDonough who hasn't got a chance to do that, you know, it's not. This organization and their pitch to him was clear. Like, we think you need time in the American League. Mm. You know, I, there's a reason why they were willing to level with him. Right? Stick to your guns. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with developing that expectation that even if we really like you, it doesn't mean you're going to be gifted a spot in the NHL lineup. No. You're going to go through the process. You're going to go through the development process at Abbotsford. And by the way, uh, TR and Courtney texted in. Thank you for talking about sports on his lunch break. You're welcome, TR. Thank you for getting us back on track. I uh, hope you enjoyed your lunch I'm break. I'm sorry your lunch break was so short. <laughs> Very good. Um, all right. One of our favorites up next. More sports talk. Hockey talk at that even. Ryan Clark of ESPN joins us. On the other side, here it is. Canucks Talk. Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber 
text line. Uh, get your texts coming in. Lots of thoughts about the toughness conversation we were having in the previous segment. We are going to be joined momentarily on the line here by uh, our pal Ryan Clark of ESPN, doing great work covering the NHL for ESPN. Looking forward to having a final chat with him before the summer. Of course, tomorrow is our last show. And I, I mean, I will say, look, I know, I know. Uh, T.Y. and Courtney was, uh, or was it T.R. and Courtney? I forget. Sorry. T.R. and Courtney wanted us to talk about uh, hockey on his lunch break. But uh, if there's any nonsense you want us to get into in the final segment of the show or tomorrow, let us know and we'll do our best. But right now, no nonsense whatsoever. Our guy, Ryan Clark from (laughs) ESPN. Ryan, thank you as always for doing this for us. How are you? Until that whole no nonsense thing, pretty well. Now I'm terrified. How are you two doing? No, I meant we're not going to be. We're not going to subject you to our nonsense. That's oh, what I was saying. That Jamie doesn't speak. Isn't for that me. like literally every point of me going on this radio show to hear your nonsense? Well, more like I hear Drance to hear Drance's nonsense. nonsense. I'm sure like Drance will have some nonsense to yeah. run past you for sure. I'll find some tears to throw oh, at you. Drance is Latin for nonsense. <laughs> uh, so I mean, we're at this uh, this strange part of the summer where so much of the business has gotten done and you know the free agent frenzy has settled down but i will say there's also a fair number of kind of dangling storylines here as we go into the summer whether it's you know an austin matthews extension uh what's going on in calgary any number of different things what are you kind of keeping your eye on and what are you curious about to see how it unfolds over the summer there's a couple. The first is what's going on with the Winnipeg Jets. Mm. Both them and the Calgary Flames are two teams that you look at their rosters and you just wonder what else is going to happen. The second, like everyone, is Eric Carlson because how often do you see a reigning Norris Trophy winner potentially get moved, but then you talk to different people and it's like, well, what is going to be the cap hit that could facilitate something? And just talking to an executive draft, they said if they were willing to have – if San Jose was willing to reduce that figure to eight a year, eight a year would be a more manageable number if more teams would try to make something work. Of course, like you said, there's the Austin Matthews contract uh, extension conversation. But truthfully, uh, another one is going to be this. like, What team is going to really be able to use their cap space that's left over and maximize what they can do? Because, like, yes, there are some teams that are definitely up against the cap, but when you look at it, there's a number of teams that have more than $5 million left with the cap, and not only $5 million, but like a couple of them are teams that look to compete. So, for example, what are the Bruins going to do with that cap space, especially if they feel Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci are going to move on, are, are moved on? What do the Buffalo Sabres do? Because that's mm. a team that's really not that far off. The natural predators and what they've done has been really fascinating. And, of course, you look at what the Red Wings have done to try to become more competitive. The $13.3 million the Kraken are sitting on. And then who knows what the Coyotes and Blackhawks are going to do. Because, yes, while they're still building, you look at the moves they made, especially the Coyotes, and that looks like a team that could at minimum take a next step forward and at maximum either take a next step forward and then maybe parcel off some of those players at the deadline. So, yeah, there's a lot. Ryan, one of the teams, and it's in your home city, that's sitting on more than $5 million in cap spaces is Seattle, right? $14 million. Uh, in, in cap space and obviously they have some business to attend to with Borgen and, and with Vince Dunn who filed for arbitration yesterday but it still feels like there's real flex is Ron Francis true to character going to be patient and keep his powder dry here or do you expect some fireworks yet to come on in the Pacific Northwest it seems 
like one of those things where if they do make a move, they are going to do it, but make sure they've thought about everything that comes with it. Just because let's take a look at the Kraken's catch situation. The biggest thing to keep in mind going forward is you've got one more year of Matty Beniers on his ELC, and then he's going to start making some significant money. And when you look at the, num- the, the number that these players who are on their second deal, like a Beniers, they, they tend to make, it's going to be a hefty figure, the kind that could easily see him become the highest paid player on a team Right now, the, the largest salary is Philip Grubauer at $5.9 million. You have a couple of players around 5'5", 5'4", 5'1". But really, it's been a team that's been able to manage its finances, and, and, and that's how. So so there's that. But then there's some other questions you're going to have to answer, which is what do you do with Jordan Everly, who has one year left? What do you do with Alex Winberg, who has one year left? Mm. Uh, Justin Schultz is, a, is another one. Chris Streeter is another one. And so – if you're them, you're thinking about not just what does it mean for this season, but what does it mean for beyond because you don't want to get cap-strapped because, again, as we've seen with so many teams, like you want to build a core, but you also want to have enough room left over where if you need to add, you can do it as opposed to adding to the edges, if that makes sense. Is there a fit out there? I mean, we know some of the names from Calgary and Winnipeg, you know, Alex Debrinkit on the market. Is there a fit on the trade market that you would you think it would make sense for the Kraken to say, you know what, we have to be aggressive and, and go get this player if it's out there? Hard to say for this reason. Everything the Kraken did last season worked in terms of getting depth from all over their, their lineup in terms of getting goals, in terms of getting two-way play. Goaltending, of course, was the big question and was something that provided improvement in the postseason. So for now, it's, it's strange because you can understand why if they said, hey, let's go try to make a move for an Eric Carlson or an Alex Debrinkit, it would make total sense because, A, who wouldn't want Eric Carlson? And, B, who wouldn't want Alex Debrinkit? Mm. Two players that could make a difference in terms of helping you win around and, and, and take the next step. And not only that, but given the sort of offensive structure Seattle plays, it would be something where you'd be curious to see how Eric Carlson would work within it, but you also know that he would get the help needed. So that way he could really, really, really make the most of his puck moving ability. But then again, there's that question of like, well, what does that mean for Justin Schultz? What does that mean for Vince Dunn? Like, again, there's a lot of different nuances. But look, the point being is there's things that they can go do, but it seems like they're not going to do things that, that don't make sense. So if they're going to make a move, they're going to make the kind of move where they feel all the pieces fit. And if they have to move on from someone, it's because the person they're bringing in can be a like-for-like, if not better, replacement for the person who's departing. Do you think the Pacific has been like upturned at all by the Dubois acquisition by the Kings, or are they still a pretty distant third in your mind uh, behind Vegas and, um, excuse me, and Edmonton at the top? It's hard to say distant for this reason, just because there were times in that season, series with L.A. and Edmonton when L.A. looked like it did have the upper hand before Edmonton won that series. So it's, it's really hard to say distant, but it is one of those things where, if you're the Kings with everything you've done, getting out the first round has to be a priority this season. When you make the move to go get Pierre-Luc Dubois, which was massive because of what you you gave up and what you signed him to, but then, of course, there's Gavrikov. And yet, really, the big question you could argue with their offseason is what they did with goaltending, because when you look at all their underlying metrics, the Kings have some solid defensive metrics in certain areas, but goaltending was a big challenge for them. And so now you're going into a season 
We had Phoenix Copley under contract for one year at one five. Cam Talbot one year at one. David Riddich one year at eight seventy five. That's three goalies for the grand price of three million three hundred seventy five thousand dollars. And as we've talked about before on this show, and just in general, we are seeing more teams move to tandems for a bunch of reasons that have to do with how do you manage a full eighty two game schedule back to back, especially in this flat cap environment. Like, what's an area where you think you can find savings? But also, it's just there's probably, what, four or five goalies, maybe six in the league, who you know are going to start more than 55, 60 games a season. So why spend all that money on someone who can't do that as opposed to evening it out? But if you're the Kings, you hope to find an answer in net because, really, that was one of the biggest things that, that, that plagued them throughout last season. If the Kings had been able to have the consistent goal teaming, it's hard to say what would have happened in a series with them in Edmonton but at the same time, this is the kind of team that with the right goaltending combination, it looks to be a team that can go the distance. Because, again, you think about everything the Kings got going for them. They have a 3C situation with Andre Kopitar, Pierre-Luc Dubon, Philip Deneau, which is going to be difficult to play against. And that's even taking Quentin Byfield into consideration, depending on what happens with him. You've got Fiala, Kimpe, Arvidsson, Moore. Uh, again, there, there's so much talent there, and especially on the back end, too, to where they can get the goaltending settled that Pacific division between those three teams and the Kraken. And don't forget, the Calgary Flames missed the playoffs for, what, two points? Yep. It's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, Calgary's so interesting, too, because I if they had just ran it back, right, kept everyone and ran it back, I would be picking them to have a really impressive year next year. Now, they, they've only moved Tyler Toffoli, and they got Sharon Govich back in that deal, so there's still a lot of talent there, but... Man, I just have no idea what to expect from the Calgary Flames, but I still look at it as a team that was, you know, really, really good the year before that, and that could potentially, you know, quite easily finish in the top three in the Pacific. Here's the thing. So just we have a story coming out soon, just looking at the offseason and this and that. And one of the things that I looked at when I was reading about the Flames is this. Believe it was, and let me make sure I pull this number up correctly because the last thing you want is to get something wrong and then Drance hold it against you forever because he's not petty, is this. When you look at 30 of their combined regulation and overtime losses last year, they were by one goal. That is huge for a team that missed the playoffs by such a small margin. And so the thing with them was they only had – a handful of times where they won three games in a row. They only had one streak of at least four games in a row. Again, the whole season, they had some streaks where they definitely lost games more than three. But yet by the end of it, they were 6-2-2 two, and two over the final 10, missed the playoffs by two. And when you look at those one-goal games, especially in overtime, it makes such a massive difference. And so it's not like it's a team that's like that, that far off. But again, it's how do you make it work knowing – we don't know what's going to happen with some of those guys who are on one-year deals, whether it be you know, Hannah Van Elias Lindholm, Miguel Backlund. Of course, there's the conversation about, okay, now that Ryan Husk is here, will he start playing some of the young talent like Coronado, Dustin Wolf? Again, we, we don't know, but what it amounts to is this. On the whole, the Flames are a team that have a nucleus under a lot of long-term deals. Again, Malvin Kadri, uh, McKenzie Weger, Jonathan Uverdell, Ursus Anderson, like, they've got guys who are under contract for quite a while. And so you can see that there's a vision there, but in order to really get a true feel for things, once they figure out the situation with those three players who have one-year deals left, and you can see that they can get consistency with that and on ice, it seems like we can know more about a team that can literally do anything from 
either challenge for a playoff spot, be right in the mix for a playoff spot, or possibly be on the outside looking in for consecutive year. Ryan, what was your view from outside the market on Vancouver's relatively conservative haul in the free agent frenzy? It's what needed to happen because the Canucks were just not in a position financially to really do much. I mean, what right now, Cap Friendly projects there a negative $3.242 million. That, that says all you need to say, but that's something we've all talked about for months now with this team is how do you find ways to improve a team when you are cash-strapped? They found a way to go do it because, look, Luger did really strong work for the Golden Knights in the postseason in terms of being one of the bottom six anchors. Ian Cole is someone who gives you not only veteran presence, but he gives you a two-time cup winner and someone who's, who's been there. And with Carson Susie, you have another big physical defenseman who can do a lot of different things for you, which, again, will help that team because defense, of course, was, was one of the challenges. But in, in terms of what they could do, it, it's kind of the realistic approach of what they could do given just, again, the cap issues. But to see what they're going to do under talking in one full year is going to be fascinating because, like, Yes, for all the conversations that were had about the Canucks and the struggles they went through, they won 20 of the 36 games. Rick Tockett was in charge. That was the 12th most wins in the league from when he took over. So you saw progress. But again, being Vancouver, we were all saying this a year ago, look at the progress they made under Bruce Goudreau. Like, things were going to be good. There's going to be optimism, only to see how it went. And not saying that there's that same level of optimism, just because it seems like right now the Canucks are very much a wait-and-see mode in the court of public opinion but at the same time like in terms of what they've been able to do it's like this is all they were able to do and it kind of fits given that right now no one knows what the Canucks are so why take an offseason approach that leans one way or the other when there's still questions to be answered yeah I think the perspective here is it's from a future and a long-term standpoint it was the wisest thing to do right to be conservative and as you said they were dealing with constraints anyways the question is did it sufficiently improve the team to make them legitimate playoff contenders next year and I mean especially in light of a Pacific division which looks pretty tough do you think the Canucks have a chance to contend in the Pacific division next year Ryan they have the talent to do it, but they need certain things to, to fall in their favor. Like, one, they would definitely need for everyone to be able to, to, to carry the load in terms of scoring. So it's not just on Elias Pedersen. Uh, it's not just on Kuzmenko, J.T. Miller, and Quinn Hughes. Like, it has to be contributions from, 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 from everyone. Like, you have to be able to get all that from, from, from everyone involved, like every player in the lineup. The second thing is is improving the defensive deficiencies. So, Again, you bring in Cole, you bring in Susie. Maybe there are you know, two players who can help make a difference because just having been around both of them, they're two guys that really do pay attention to everything, and that could help in that dressing room. And then the third part is this. like, it, It's hoping that the, the partnership between Thatcher Dimko and Spencer Martin is one that can bring about consistency, not only bring about consistency, but bring about wins. Because, again, it's something we've talked a lot about on this show, like, when you look at the Canucks, there's a lot of different players there who can do a lot of different things. And it's what makes them such an intriguing team because, like, on one hand, you look at them and go, if they could ever find the consistency and put it together, which, again, it looks like they could have – well, they did do under Rick Tockett, that maybe this is a team that could possibly challenge for a wild card. But then you look at them and go, it doesn't fit there, but yet if the cabins are a little bit more manageable – What's stopping a team that's contending from going out and trying to get some of these guys as, as, as a piece that they could use to, to possibly get them over the hump and, and, and win a Stanley Cup? So 
it seems like that's the situation the Canucks are in. It's that it seems like they could challenge, but also then there's this going to them. A year ago, no one was saying, hey, we think the Seattle Kraken are going to challenge for a playoff spot. And now people are talking about the Seattle Kraken as, hey, are they kind of sort of maybe possibly entering into a, a championship window or at least in contention for a championship? Like, no one knows. And that's just the thing is, like, all of this changes from year to year. And not that Vegas was in an exact situation, but there were questions about Vegas and Bruce Cassidy and how it work and could he get Jack Eichel to play defense and what were they going to do with goaltending? And now, well, look, they, they won the whole thing. So, again, you, you just never know. You know I don't like that, Ryan. I don't like the anything can happen thing. (laughs) That's totally understandable, but like, but no seriousness. I mean, let's just again look at the the Western Conference, for example, where things were a a year ago. Right. The Winnipeg Jets were a team that had questions, and they got into the postseason. And yes, some of those questions still remain, but they still got there. The Predators were a team that was in the postseason. And then they decided they were going to change things, and the Predators were still in it until the last two weeks of the season. And so when we look at the Canucks, again, it is just so hard to say because, like, the talent is definitely there. You have a coach who, in the time he was there, was able to get results, and it did trend in a direction that if you're the front office, you want to see. But at the same time, like, it's really hard to speak about this team in the definitive because they have had so many questions that have needed to be answered that – Really, the biggest definitive of the Vancouver Canucks right now is they are a mystery that you have to tread carefully as you talk about them because you just don't know. For all the reasons you could sit there and say, the promise with this team is X, Y, and Z, you could also sit there and say the concerns with this team are X, Y, and Z, and it's a fair argument either way. Like, they're not one of those teams where, like, let's say, what's an example of a team that you look at as, like, coming on the up and up? Like, let's say the Buffalo Sabres. Like, the Sabres are that team on the up and up where – there might be some questions, but it seems like there's fewer questions about how the Sabres can get into the postseason compared to the Canucks. Now, yes, the Sabres are going to play in Atlantic Division that is expected to be crowded with Tampa, with Toronto. We don't know what Boston's going to do. Florida's going to be injured to start off the season. But, again, that's a team that we've all seen knows how to make a late push. But, again, that's going to be a competitive division, and that's going to take into account, like, Montreal should be a better team because we saw the progress it made last season. Anything with Ottawa, we just don't know. Whereas if you look at the Pacific, we just talked about Calgary. Edmonton's a cup favorite. The Kings are in the discussion of being a cup favorite. The Golden Knights just won the cup. The Kraken at minimum are a playoff team at max. Maybe their team in the, in the, in the conversation about being in a championship window. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Anaheim Ducks and the promise and the potential. But at the same time, like we don't know what they're going to be because for all we know, some of the moves they made, they made some pricing people and steal some points. And with the Sharks, look, they address some needs. But, again, it seems like they're still earning their rebuild. But, again, that's just one division. And for the Canucks, that's a lot of factors to take into account in terms of a playoff spot, never mind the questions they've got to answer about their own roster. So, Ryan, for all of the people we're booking this week, and we're only booking people we consider to be our super friends, like our, our favorite guests. So you, you're among those, and, and you know my regard for you. Hey. And one of the reasons I consider you one of my super friends, Ryan, is that you're willing to play along when when I throw outrageous stuff with nonsense? Me. Yeah, and so I'm going to ask you for one last time this season to give me your tears, and I'm going to do so in the most on brand way possible, which I did with Sean Gentile yesterday. I'm going to ask you to tier Western Conference betting odds. Okay, now this this question you're going to have to bear with me as I set this up. 
right off the bat, I'm going to discard all of the teams that are rated at 40 to one or more to win the Western Conference, uh, which is the Chicago Blackhawks, the Arizona Coyotes, the San Jose Ducks, and the uh, sorry, the San Jose Sharks and the Anaheim Ducks. Doesn't matter. Um, do you have any objections to me discarding those four before we get started? Look, these are your rules. I'm just playing the game like it's the Hunger Games. Do what you want. Do what you want. All right. Um, we need we need that like music, that like triumphal music at the end of the day. All right. Ready? Here, your favorites are the Colorado Avalanche at plus three seven five. Edmonton comes next at plus four hundred. Vegas plus five hundred. Dallas plus seven fifty. The Kings are at plus eight hundred. And there's a bit of a golf to the Flames at thirteen to one. The Wild at 13 to 1, the Kraken at 15 to 1, the Jets at 20 to 1, and then there's a group of three teams, including the Vancouver Canucks, St. Louis, Nashville, and Vancouver, all grouped together 25 to 1. Tier the value of the Western Conference odds. Which do you like best? Who who's undervalued, who's overvalued? You could argue St. Louis is undervalued. You think St. Louis? Nice. They just they just got a, a, a top six center for a low round pick. It's a franchise that when you look at its history, they don't spend long out of the postseason. The most they've ever spent out of the postseason is four straight years. Otherwise, they're, they're typically in it. The talent that's there, you just kind of look at it and you just wonder, okay, yes, there's, there's some things that they need to, to do, of course, to make some changes. But maybe they're that team that possibly – finds a little bit more improvement and can be in that conversation again. It's just, it's the idea that we just don't see the blues out of the postseason that long. So maybe that's a team you'd raise a little bit. Maybe the Kraken as a team you raise a little bit. You could argue maybe the Kings, even then the hard part with the Kings is what we just talked about is you've got to be able to win beyond the first round in terms of a team that maybe is a little too high in its standings. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the situation. And that would be the Winnipeg Jets just because Mm. at present with the roster they have, okay, yeah, that was like a team that could challenge for the postseason. But when the season starts, do we know if Mark Scheifele is going to be there? Do Mm. we know if Connor Hellebuck is going to be there? Like, Like, who do we know is going to be on that roster that's in that group of movable players that you feel to get you something in, in return. We just don't know. But currently, the way the Jets look, if they have everyone under contract and have an RFA sign, absolutely that's a team that's in the conversation for, for the postseason. There's no question, especially if guys like Cole Perfetti can, can definitely stay healthy, then, yeah, they're in that discussion. But, again, with the Jets right now, we just don't know. So, really, it, 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 again, not trying to be funny, but it's so hard to say what the Jets are going to be because – no one knows for certain what they're going to be tomorrow, what they're going to be when the season starts, <laughs> what they're going to be honestly when the playoffs arrive. And that's not trying to be funny, but just when you see that they traded Dubois, they brought out Blake Wheeler, you wonder what's going to happen with Shifley with a year left. You wonder what's going to happen with with Hellebuck with, with, with a year left. And again, I mean, yeah, he just got there, but Neil Niederreiter also has a year left on his deal. Like the Jets are a team that has all the potential to either get into the postseason or they have all the potential to take some of those players who are on one-year deals, move on from them, get players and, and, and draft capital that can help them now to some degree, but help them more in the future, and take that route. So, again, it's so hard to say what the Jets are going to do and what they're going to be. Ryan, we appreciate it. 
uh, I apologize for Drance uh, making you sit through that question and the rules and everything, but you handled it like a pro. Thank you, as always. Thanks for all the hits throughout the year. Have a great summer. Hey, you guys do the same. Take care, and thanks for having me. <laughs> Lots of love, my dude. That is uh, the great Ryan Clark of ESPN doing a fantastic job covering the NHL for ESPN, weighing in on the offseason. Our final segment of the show coming up, uh, a good question from Dalvier V., that I want to get into some other interesting thoughts coming in to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up if you've got anything on your mind. Final segment coming up here, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Strand. Live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Final segment of the show today. Uh, Dalvir V texted in. I thought this was an interesting question, just in, in kind of an abstract way of thinking about the salary cap, just something that came to mind because y'all are discussing cap space and I mean, what else is new here on Canucks Talk talking about cap space. But this is Dalvier's question. Cap space talk. Yes. Can you – well, look, man. If the NHL doesn't want the discussion around their sport to be dominated by, like, efficiency and cap space, they should change their econom- economic system. This is what they've created. Anyways, uh, Dalvier V says, can you overpay Elias Pettersson? He puts in brackets the forward. What is the number? that would actually be inefficient on an eight-year deal for Elias Pettersson. And you that's can't. from Dalvir V. You really, you don't think you can? No. So you think the max 20%, it's 20%, right? Yeah, is the like max 16, so 16, 16 and a half? He'll be worth it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because I, I don't think there's any doubt that, like, like look, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, you know what I mean? The true, like the clear-cut top five guys, it's yeah. no doubter. You well, do that every day of the week. So the first year of the deal... The agents I talk to, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm talking people with real skin in the game projecting this money professionally expect a $4 million lift in year one. Mm. With the next year being, like, the real potential elevator year, right? Uh, all bets are off. Could could We could see a $95 million cap or whatever, Woo. right? So, it's like, say it's say, – let's go conservative. Let's say four and four, right? Yep. Okay, so then you're looking at, by the second year of the deal, it already being – 18% of the cap. And so the equivalent in like our current cap world, that's 15%, right? Like you're already, you know, you're, I mean. <laughs> so that would be like a, like a $13 million deal in our current cap world or something yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. And, and then, and then you, you sort of go from there. Now I don't like to bet on, I don't think it's going to take the max to get it done. To no, get it done. I hope so, but, but we're talking hypothetically, you know, if you sign Pedersen for 16 years, the conversation around this team becomes because for whatever reason, we blame players for being and, and I know this is a controversial take because players make so much money to play a game mm-hmm. and, and people get, you know, in, in the vein of like 1980s sports talk, like free agency has ruined the game. But I mean, we live in a world where, you know, teams bought for 300 million 10 years ago are now being sold at multi-billion dollar valuations, mm-hmm. right? Like, m- meanwhile, players made more 15 years ago than they do today. 
So I'm, I'm sorry, but in terms of the economic model of the league, players are massively underpaid versus the value they, they create, and none more so than players like Pedersen who are the actual product, the actual draw, the yep. reason there are people in the seats – are they're, like they're there to see what outrageousness will Elias Pettersson come up with tonight? Um, sorry, I've gotten way off no, no, no. track with my rant, but you know, so so if you sign Pettersson for the max, the conversation immediately becomes you'll never win with that. Yeah, and it's like he's screwed the team over, right? Right. That's that's the conversation, which is the conversation around the Maple Leafs players. But mm-hmm. but the reality is, the reality is, is that you know the. The fact that Sidney Crosby hasn't been making thirty million a year, given the amount of value he's added to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, is like criminal. I mean, that's probably a harsh word for it, but I, honestly, theft. Well, it's an interesting. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, like, would it make it hard for the Canucks to build around him? Yeah. Would we be critical of the deal given the opportunity cost with how the NHL is set up? For sure. But is it possible to pay the guy who fills the building? I mean, I, I just fundamentally reject that premise, right? Like, NHL players made a third of what NBA players did in the um, free agent market this summer. Mm-hmm. I know, I know NBA, but they, they're half the size roster-wise of of what the NHL um, teams are. Um, you know, it's it, none of these guys are underpaid or overpaid. Like, we honestly have to. You know, that's it's why I try to keep things to, like inefficient. Yes. Or like team or friendly, efficient. or yeah, yeah, because well, because I'm, but they're all team friendly, right? Like every <laughs> yeah, single fair. deal is team friendly. The most inefficient deal on the books is still team friendly. So you know, I, I I wish we could get out of this binary in part because it makes life so comfortable for for the billionaires <laughs> at the expense of the millionaires. Um, and I know it's hard to have empathy for any side in, in these types of discussions, but. Fundamentally, there are no overpaid NHL players. It is not possible to overpay one of the top 10 centermen in the league, especially when he's 24. Um, But I guess the question would be, would it be in this currently existing salary cap setting, it would be inefficient to do so? I think. Sure. You know what I mean? And especially because, as you said, because it's not like you have to do that to get him signed. There's a world where you can get him signed for way less than that, obviously, and that's that's probably going to be what, what happens. So, I'll, I'll, I mean, I can pull up the data right now in terms of using net rating, so Dom's model. Mm. Elias Pettersson on a... Um, Elias Pettersson is projected per Dom's model. <laughs> I haven't said that enough this it's week. It's true, yeah. Um, to provide the following value over the next... through 2030. Okay, ready? Mm-hmm. 12.1 million, 12.8 million, 13.1 million, 13.4 million, 13.8 million, 13.8 million, 13.3 million. Every number below that is surplus yep. value through the rest of this decade. So is it possible to overpay Elias Pettersson? I, theoretically, I guess. But given the probability of, of a cap lift coming, uh, I would say very, very difficult. You would be very, yeah. very hard pressed and certainly to overpay the, Elias. The Pettersson. realistic, like the the thought experiment of the actual max under a salary cap, is an interesting one. The realistic numbers that we're going to be looking at, and in all likelihood, talking about for an Elias Pedersen extension, they're not. It's not going to be an overpay, right? It's just like realistically, that's not where salaries are for NHL stars. I think another way to look at this is: let's say the NHL didn't have a hard salary cap, and Connor McDavid was a free agent tomorrow. What mm. would his AAV be? Right, it'd be over twenty million dollars. 
If there was no salary cap, if there was oh, no well, if, more, if there was more. no like artificial pressure to keep it down, and he was available if, to the highest bidder, if it bidder, was soccer, if it was soccer, he's a free agent tomorrow, and the New York Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs can come bidding, yeah. on Connor McDavid. I think it's more. I yeah. think it's fifty million. Fifty million's a lot, but it's not. Yeah, but no, not but I mean, even in, even in baseball, which doesn't have a salary cap, we don't see salaries get that high yet. Like with Shohei Otani, we might. We will. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is going to be fascinating. But but. We also see these massive commitments. Yes. I mean, so... 13-year commitments. So, or... Exactly. So it's like they they sort of offset the yearly pay in that method. But the NHL, I don't think you can ever think about signing mm. a guy. Salary cap or not, I, I mean, I guess we used to see it before before the term limits existed. Yeah. But, but so it, it that depend was on like, that. Th- that was because of... That was for like salary cap machinations, right? Why you went super long term? I just think if you're if if McDavid was a free agent in a world with no hard cap, there it, it's virtually unlimited the amount of money he'd be worth to a signature franchise, given what it would do in terms of juking season ticket sales, mm. partnerships, like honestly naming rights. Like if you were a franchise that needed a new building, like he could probably get another built. He already got one. Yeah, you know, I mean. <laughs> the economic value that these guys generate for their organizations is honestly four or five times their salary, especially when you're talking about a McDavid-style player. Mm-hmm. Then the example that always comes up to me is Steph Curry. Just you look at like what oh. what the Warriors were worth before he was drafted and what they're worth now. <laughs> it's like multiple billions that almost not single-handedly, but driven entirely by Steph Curry and his performance. Uh, has been absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> the Warriors were bought. Never forget this. The Warriors were bought in 2014 for 450 million. They are valued today at 7.5 billion. Woo! Never, never call these players overpaid. That's... Honestly, honestly, it's like it's passe. You are you are looking at the wrong people. That is a wild, wild. You know number. who's really overpaid? NHL owners. And yet we spend all this time empathizing with them. It's embarrassing. Uh, Dan from Nanaimo says, MLB is going to get close to a billion-dollar contract. Uh, the NHL is peanuts. The Otani contract is going to be so fascinating. And I heard, uh, I think it was David Sampson, who's former president of the Marlins in Major League Baseball. He was on with Blair and Barker. And one of the things he ran out was, if you're talking about an Otani contract or an Otani free agency, was if you have some uncertainty about okay can he be a two-way player for like eight years but you really think he can do it for three or four instead of going you know eight years whatever what would it be like 600 million or something ridiculous like that do you go three years at like 90 million AAV right you're basically paying him as the the best hitter on the market and the best pitcher on the market and you're confident he can do that and I'm really counting on Otani to be the first billion dollar sports company. well I also the other thing that I'm fascinated is let's say they did let's say someone did go super aggressive on the AAV with Otani but short term could we see a contract and could this happen with a quarterback in the NFL at some point as well where the individual AAV is more than the upper salary cap limit of the NHL like, is that coming in, in Major League Baseball with Otani or even as the NBA Supermax continues to grow? Like, that, like that, those numbers are getting uncomfortably close together. And that would not be a good look for the NHL if Otani is bringing home more uh, than the entire, an entire roster under the hard cap. Yeah, none, none of it's a good look already. Um, I really like this question from Marcus, and I'm curious to hear your answer. Yeah, this it. is a good one. 
If your friend said, I know a guy and called you, what would you be specialized in non-sports related? So I was thinking about this during the break. I think it would probably have to be like law, something law related, legal stuff. Because I, when in terms of actual specialized knowledge I have that's not related to sports, that's probably the only one. And typically I am, you know, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not really like allowed to give legal advice. But worst case scenario, I can like, I know a lot of lawyers, so I can tell you like, hey, call this guy. He'll be able to help you or whatever. That's, that's not, I don't know, that's not a very exciting answer, but I think that's probably the most realistic answer for me is legal problems, law questions. What do you think would be for you? Eating really spicy food. Okay, but like it's like it's like we're we're trying to host a hot ones party. Do you know someone who could do it without breaking a sweat? Like, yeah, I know a guy. Really, you're an elite spicy food eater. Yeah, I've, I've, I hate spicy food. Really? Yeah. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I mean, like it's a, grown on you're me. You're like a child. Yeah. No, it's like grown a, on me. Eh, it's spicy. It's grown on me a lot. I used to be like, Ugh, I don't like it. Now I do, but I don't have any time for the people who are like sadistic to themselves about. Uh, which I guess is masochistic about to themselves about um, you know like challenging themselves to meet eat the most unpleasantly spicy thing. I don't get that. I don't get the fun in that. M- makes lips go brrr. <laughs> but the no. I, so I, I don't know. I, my stepdad is a gentleman named Miguel Almanza from the south side of Chicago, uh, sort of guy who grew up um, and didn't use cutlery until he joined the Air Force because they used tortillas right so i grew up eating mm. hot sauce I, I grew up eating hot food like i grew up eating raw jalapenos at breakfast and, and on and on so i just you know it's it, you're like i don't get the challenge to myself thing like i don't really view it that way but there are people who do you know what yeah. i mean who are like go out of their way like oh it's gonna be so incredibly spicy you yeah. won't believe it it's like but <laughs> I, i'm more i'm more the guy where it's like you know when you go to those restaurants that have and i'm sure red robin with its urgency was on this list where it's like <laughs> they have like the pepper ratings beside them yes you know yeah. what i mean yeah. and it's like i have to plead with them to make me something that i'll actually find spicy at all yeah you know the the one exception to this by the way is um Nashville fried chicken, which I obviously ate somewhat recently. Have you ever had Nashville fried chicken? No. So Nashville fried chicken is like overwhelmingly hot and and adds up as you go through the chicken. Mm-hmm. And, and you get like a half chicken and it's fried in, in these spicy sauces and it gets. So I went out, um, you know, Cam Robinson, JD, like Ryan Lambert, a bunch of us after the draft. And we went and had some uh, spicy chicken. Everyone else got like two or three or whatever. I, I had I had a four half chicken and I, yeah, it was hot by the end. But like legitimately, these guys looked like they were like tripping. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like they like they were they were basically Homer after the chili eating comp- contest. You know what I mean? Like on a spiritual adventure, it was hilarious. People are roasting me. Oh, do you season your chicken with water? I like some spice. Relax. I'm just not into the uh, the performative. He doesn't like it. It's spicy. Somebody else says no pain, no pleasure. I disagree. <laughs> I actually think you can, in fact, find pleasure without subjecting yourself to pain first. A radical opinion uh, on my part, indeed. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else more exciting. Like, do than you law. consider Frank's spicy? Uh, I don't put Frank's on stuff. I never like no. But if if I were to put Frank's on something, I honestly and not I don't tell you, and I, you ate it. I don't have enough like, of a reference I don't enjoy point. it. I doubt it i i think i could probably still eat it yeah yeah okay. but i like i never am like reaching for hot sauce that's not my thing <laughs> if there's spice mixed in with something or whatever or, like spicy chili or whatever like that's great but hot sauce is never my go-to condiment i just don't find i find dishes not improved by it typically 
bad take. Tanbeer says, Drance couldn't eat mild tandoori chicken. You're being challenged. <laughs> All right, bud. Drance is very upset. No, very upset by that so one. So I, I, I'm in this group chat with a bunch of, like, awesome. They're, they're hilarious. Um, Indo-Canadian Canucks fans, mm-hmm. like, for the most part. And they sent me to... Like, they sometimes recommend me places, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll go out and, and take their recommendations. And they gave me some advice because they gave me an, they told me about a dosa spot that was really good. So I, I took their recommendation and I went to a dosa spot that they'd recommended. And I, I asked for it as, like, spicy. And then, um, I, I you know, I'm like, guys, that wasn't that hot. And they gave me the advice on, like, what you actually have to say to get it properly the hot. The secret words. Yeah, the secret words so that they know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to find out. I'm trying to remind myself what it is so that I can pass that information along. But, yeah, mild tandoori, bud. That's, I mean, I, I'm talking I need special words to kick up the vindaloo. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't feel it. You need to order off the secret spice menu. Yeah, Frank's, Frank's, and Tanbeer rightly says, Frank's is, I uh, hate when Tanbeer has a good take. He says, Frank's is sweet and sour to me. I, I consider it more like salt. Mm. You know, it's like the equivalent of salt. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. just a flavoring thing. Uh, this one comes in from uh, somebody else who says, how long can you guys last in the sauna? I'm dead after 15 minutes. Not a big sauna well, I guy. think I think 15 minutes is like mostly what's recommended. I don't know. Uh, you're not a big sauna guy. I don't like the sauna. But again, you... it's just like it's not comfortable. I prize my comfort. Have you done greatly? Have you done though the like Nordic style, like the sauna into cold? I have into hot. It's like eh. It's I'd rather lovely. just be at a nice temperature rather than vacillating between the extremes. Well, no, but I just want to be at a comfortable the temperature. Key is, it's healthy for you though. The, it's I not, don't care. It's not just healthy. But the key is the key is um, you do. You know, 15 or 20 minutes of hot, and it's quite relaxing. And then you do a short stint of extreme cold, which is not particularly exhilarating, relaxing, but it, but it's exhilarating. Mm-hmm. And then you chill, like ideally with a with a full pint of long drink. Have you ever had long drink? No. Uh, I'll bring you one in tomorrow because I, I brought some across the border. But it's a uh, it's the Finnish national drink. Ooh. It's a it's a combination of citrus, gin, and and juniper berry. Yeah, that does sound very good. It's Trans delightful. Is, uh, smuggling foreign alcohols into Canada. A, 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 a normal amount, as prescribed by the laws of our country. Um, <laughs> you're, you, you can bring a six-pack back fully yeah. fine, and I just make sure to do it every time I go to the States because you can't get it here for some reason, even though it would be a massive hit. Anyway, I deal with that, and it's like it's like the half hour of relaxing after the cycle is the purpose. It's just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. I just – it's like – I go to the pool and there's a sauna and there's a hot tub and I'm but I'm in the comfortable, you know, slightly heated pool and it's like, well, why would I get out of this? What am I gaining out of going into an environment that's purposely trying to make me uncomfortable? Uh, Leroy says no hot sauce, saunas, or waterfalls. Dodd must be a blast at parties. Look, first of all, waterfalls are fine. They're not uncomfortable, but they're just overrated. I just prioritize my own comfort. I'm not a. I, I don't need to go out of the way to make myself uncomfortable just to feel something. Like the rest of you guys do. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, John in Canby Village says, Drancer, I had the second highest heat at the Nashville Chicken Place in February. The bacon cheese grits and collard greens neutralized it for me. It was a revelation. Recommend it to Press Row next time yep. you are down no, there. You do have to have something to cut it when you get into the high, the real high spice he's, like that. He's dead on to the 
Oh, right. I remember. They told me actually to ask to get Duolingo and ask for the spicy in Punjabi. That was the advice of the group chat. Get, I, I found get, it. Get Duolingo. And they said that's that's how they'll know you're serious. Because I asked for it as hot as they make it, and they clearly assessed me as soft. And that was incorrect. Um, yeah, the four of five at Hattie B's or Prince's is like very hot, but you do need you do need to have some stuff to cut it. The collard greens or the or the um I, I like the coleslaw. The coleslaw I find is a very helpful cutter. Yes, I can see that. Yeah. Dom, are you a big sauna guy? Yeah. Who's not a big sauna guy? It's wild. Me. It's why? Wild like, take. what's the obsession? It's just if you're there, why would I not rather go in the pool? I would like saunas, steam rooms. Yeah, like, shebang. like they sponsored us around Valentine's it. Day, so I'm comfortable bringing up it. their name. But like Scandinav in Whistler, in Whistler's unreal, yeah. and I highly recommend the experience. Your your wife would love it, man. You should you should go, and it'll change your view of saunas. The I key is I can't imagine you at Scandinav because like you have such a loud personality, and it's such a quiet area <laughs> that like someone forcing you to just be quiet. Oh, I love it. The 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 last time now I, now it sounds good to me. Okay, okay. This, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can't you can't talk there. Um, the last time I was at Scandinav, though, right before I went, right before I went, um, Ku was down to Baylor <sighs> in a in a Saturday afternoon college game, and they were down by a lot. And I didn't just bet the money line, which was like plus four hundred. I bet Ku to win by like minus four and a half. And then I spend three and a half four hours at Scandinav in quiet contemplation, thinking, man, I really should probably cut back. On my gambling, that was a really irresponsible bet because I don't have my phone. And then I go back and <laughs> KU won by 13. I'm like, let's go! <laughs> and then I didn't change my behavior at all. <laughs> There's nothing like, you're like I'm going to really, you know, like, I'm going to put the phone down. I'm going to go to the spa. <laughs> really be in the moment. Focus on my wellness. And meanwhile, you're like, oh, why did I put so much money on KU? <laughs> what was I doing? Well, like, the money line was spicy enough. <laughs> Why I bet an alternate spread? Do I have a problem? No, <laughs> no, no. Clearly, I don't. It's it's the rest of the world that's wrong. Uh, this one says, Jamie, doing things that push you out of your comfort zone is good for your health and helps you grow as a person. I've done all of these things. It's not that I haven't tried them. It's not that I refuse to go in a sauna. It's not that I refused ever to eat really, really spicy food. It's just once I try it, okay, that's not for me. To be fair, you work with Drancer every day. Yeah, it's tough. You need more relaxation true. in your life. I need to just like go home, go to a quiet room, <laughs> as little stimulation as possible. <laughs> Shut off everything. <laughs> Got to make up for these two hours or, on the air with Drancer. Or Trancer. alternatively, you go into a dark room, turn on a strobe light, and play heavy metal and like really get into the headspace that I'm in. Do like yell and scream therapy. Yeah. <laughs> go to a boxing gym, just wail on a... Uh, and a punching eat, bag for a while, and then eat mild food in a room temperature room. You guys are ridiculous. There's and, a and big, there's a big gap on the spectrum between like so hot it's going to make your, you know, make you and want to die, and uh, like no seasoning. All right, Mister Mushy Peas, You're like <laughs> don't put pepper on my mushy peas. They're too spicy now. <laughs> to be fair, Jimmy has a point. We we did the the, the bomb sauce a couple years ago on Hot Sauce Day, National Hot Sauce Day on Reach Deep, and uh, yeah, I don't care for it. It wrecks you. Yeah, it wrecks you. Oh, okay. Sorry, someone recommended a place on West Second, by the way, and there's a hot hotness level called Pain, and I want to just quickly address a pet peeve in this in this vein before we before we go. Great. The places that make a show of making you sign a waiver. 
and then it's like see this is what i'm talking about and the then culture like, around like look how hot this thing is that i'm gonna eat like and, who cares and then it's like get mid, over it and then it's like mid spicy although i will say one the only time that ever bested me i'd been to the driving range and i had a blister on my hand oh, oh boy and and it really it really quite hurt my hand i spent like much of the evening with a glass of milk at the table, dipping my thumb in it. Please tell me you didn't drink the milk. It <laughs> was a bad luck. Great, great way to spend I'm an like, evening. I'm like in my early 20s too. Like my friends are like talking to girls. I'm like, I can't move. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I need to know now what's worse. It's uh, like, hey, ladies. Hot you got your thumb in a glass of milk. <laughs> it's like this is a normal thing people do. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an appealing mate. Oh, God. <laughs> what's worse, hot sauce in the wound or hot sauce in the eye? By f- Oh, well- so also, if you ever go look up the chili eating competitions that they do o- over in India, right? Like the winners are legitimately like there and it's like a full auditorium of people clapping and they're like holding ghost peppers to their eyes. And people are like, wow, unbelievable. And it's just like, whew. Now that's a level of, of heat that, you know, I can't obviously hit. All right. We got to go. Final show of the year tomorrow. Uh, we're on at 11, I believe. So oh, an hour we? earlier than normal. Pretty sure. We'll confirm <laughs> as we sign off here momentarily. But uh, more of this nonsense for two hours tomorrow, plus some Canucks talk. It is Sportsnet 650.